Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Yeah, we're, we're winding down the Simplicity series today. We said that simplicity was the disciplined pursuit of less. The disciplined pursuit of less. And as I mentioned, we covered everything from uh, less stuff, <laughs> less hurry, um, less chaos even in the, the corporate church, that we choose a hundred different programs. What about just focusing on a few, like Foster the City? That is the Foster Adopt program that we are getting alongside. There are probably a dozen in our area, but there's one that we want to focus on. We've talked about uh, less in terms of our soul and our minds and our hearts when, our, when we get overwhelmed because we're trying to do a hundred things, trying to go a hundred directions. How far can you get a hundred directions in one time? This much, right? Millimeter at a time. But if you go one direction, one direction, all in, it's amazing what God can do. And today, that's really a great segue because we have Paul and Paul really reminds us in Philippians 4, you can open your Bibles, uh, whether they're print or on your phone, to Philippians 4, verse 1. Paul gives us an example, a beautiful picture of what it means to be focused on one thing. He starts in chapter 4 about one purpose. And we're going to get there in a second. But for those of you who are kind of new to uh, the Bible or new even to the book of Philippians, uh, it's a book written about 60 years after the time of Jesus by the Apostle Paul, written to the, the first church in Europe, a place called Philippi, hence Philippians, a letter written to the Philippians, the group of believers there. And Paul, he's thanking this church, this young church. He's thanking them for a gift. <laughs> How apropos, once again, they have blessed him. They've fed him, they've supplied him, they've, they've helped him survive. Because the other context of this book that you should just know about is that Paul has undergone tremendous suffering and pain and trial. In another place, Paul writes about being shipwrecked, being whipped, being beaten, being stoned, alive. And he's writing this book, this letter, from prison. If there's anyone that knows about suffering, it's Paul. And yet, despite that, he's thanking them for a gift. And the whole theme of the book is joy despite the circumstances. You all have known some pretty tremendous, even historical circumstances the last two years, haven't you? Unprecedented was the key word in the news every week. Unprecedented times that we've been living in with its fair share of trials and circumstances and pain. But if there was ever a person qualified to write the letter on that topic, it was Paul. So he writes to us today. And his very first tip, as you, as you look to, to chapter 4, verse 1, his very first instruction is about a focus on one thing. That's simplicity. When you hone in, you get tunnel vision, you put the blinders on, and you focus on one thing. And what does he say it is? Right here in verse 1, he says, right here, there we go, sorry, there it is, it's up there for you. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive from my work. There were early um, skeptics of Paul. 
When he came out as an authority of the Christian movement, people said, you, you can't be a representative of Jesus. Why? Because you don't have power, you don't have influence, you don't have a platform, you don't have a people following you. Well, you, you can't be. That's, that's the military and political leader we're looking for. You don't have those things. Paul says, it's one thing that I hang my hat on. It's the joy of Christian leadership and Christian fellowship. It's the purpose of serving one another and sacrificial love. And there's one word that he uses that I wanted to hone in on, so I went to biblehub.com. It's a research tool you all can use. Many of you are smiling. You know this is my advertisement for studying Scripture because it's just a free service where you can look at the original Greek language. And this morning, I'm going to use a couple key Greek words. If you're taking notes, just spell them out phonetically, just the way they sound. That's what I do. That's how I spelt them in my notes. Just phonetically, just I spelt it out. The first one's really easy, crown, the word crown. What's he mean crown? And it's the word Stephanos. And no, uh, before your mind goes there, Stephanos is not like a Greek Olympic lifter who went to the, Olympians, the Olympics this last summer. It's not a, a model for suntan lotion. No, no, no. Stephanos, Stephanos is the Greek word Paul uses for crown, and it means a garland wreath. It's a garland wreath. A wreath of righteousness, of right living before God. He says, that's my joy, that's my whole purpose, that's my laser focus, is this wreath of righteousness. You know, righteousness sounds really good, doesn't it? I mean, if we could all just have right living, quote, before God, that'd be great, that's the aim, that's the purpose. But sometimes the path <laughs> and the road to this crown of righteousness looks like a crown of thorns, doesn't it? That's the last year we had, the last two years, the year and the season and the, and, the, and the times that we're still living in. And you should be picturing, many of you know that reference, picturing Jesus there in the courtyard, mocked and beaten, and they just pressed down the crown of thorns on his head, for that was the pathway to complete righteousness, the only righteous person that ever lived. But the pathway he had to travel was a crown, a garland of thorns. How often is that the case for us too? There are great obstacles and challenges that we have to overcome. And Paul, when you read Paul, maybe some of you guys are in your Bible in a year plan. Congratulations, I tapped out about six months ago, couldn't do it, gave up. You guys are better Christians than me, way to go. But you'll read Paul and he always talked about this race. Run the race, earn the prize. I want you to be thinking this garland wreath, the joy set before him of right living before God. Not stuff, not status, not popularity, not reposts. Just the attention of Jesus, his father, looking down on him and saying, well done, my beloved servant. But how? In light of all that Paul faced, the crisis, the pain, the suffering, how was he able to fearlessly and ruthlessly pursue one thing, just that one joy set before him, that crown, that crown of righteous and sacrificial service? How was he able to do it? Well, there's three things. There's three things I want to give you today. Where Paul, who kept his focus on Jesus, he just kept his attention, you guys, on Jesus he had a Christ focus. That was our theme for like this whole year and our vision moving forward as a church is a Christ focus. And he used these things that he talks about throughout 
chapter 4 of Philippians, he used these three things every day to overcome his obstacles and his barriers. And there is one heck of an obstacle and a barrier that we're facing today. I would guess the majority of us here in the room, and I want to talk about that first. But let's continue reading in verse 4. So we pick up in verse 4 his instructions. They start right away. Verse 4, always be full of joy. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That obstacle, that barrier, before we get into all that great instruction, rejoice, have peace, pray. Before we get into all that instruction, verse 6 represents our 21st century crisis. This epidemic, a crisis of epidemic proportions, and that's worry. A better translation of that word right there in verse 6 would be anxiety. What is anxiety, really? What is anxiety? I want to talk about where simplicity goes. What are the outcomes? What are the tools that we can use to fight? Not just practice, but fight with. I want to get there. But how do we get past this roadblock of anxiety? This word anxiety is the Greek word marimnao. Say marimnao. One more time, I want to hear this 50% say marimnao. That was insane because that's one of the hardest Greek words I've ever come across, and you guys nailed it. So great job, but it means to be over-anxious, to be overly anxious. That's the literal translation of that Greek word, to be overly anxious. Now listen, I kept reading, I kept digging, and one of the synonyms, one of the synonyms for this word, you know what it was? Just totally took me by surprise. It's the word distracted. Hmm. Distracted. There's a Greek thesaurus entry, and right there next to the word anxiety is distracted. Now, a quick qualifier before I continue. Do we have a clinical issue on our hands for some of us in the room? Absolutely. Sure, you bet. 100%. It's real. And, and there's real tools and real help needed from professional doctors and scientists and the people God has used to create these amazing innovations that can help us scientifically, medically, to overcome a clinical issue. And this church sponsors that and supports that. And we pray in Jesus' name that your healing and your improvement would come quickly. Absolutely. That's a fact. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and and have grace with me (laughs) as I do. But I think the vast majority of us probably, yes, even in this room, could it be that we're just experiencing a moment of deeply and all-absorbing distraction? Because what is distraction? Let's look, let's look deeper. Isn't anxiety, isn't anxiety, in a, in a real meaningful, significant sense, isn't it just the fact that we are completely absorbed in an issue over there? Over there. Tomorrow, for example, next week, next month, next year. We're absorbed. Can you believe that? We're absorbed. We're taken there. Like almost truly out of body. We are ripped apart and we're taken over there. And we're completely absorbed in this distraction. 
In fact, that's what the deeper, more dramatic definition of anxiety is in this Greek word is ripped apart. And those of you who do struggle with daily anxiety, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you felt that. You just feel this ripping apart, this tearing where part of you is trying like heck. You're trying just to be rooted right here, right now and to see reality and agree with reality and to thank God for what he's done, but there's another part of you that's just ripped apart and it's over there. We're having an incredibly brutal and hard time remaining right here, focusing on the breath in our lungs. We're distracted. You know, it's, it's, I don't think she would mind me telling you this. It's my wife that's dealt with anxiety more in our relationship, and I've had great firsthand uh, exposure, and I've learned a lot. But um, in this later part of our marriage, I um, have found out there's something that makes me anxious too. And uh, you may laugh, but if, if, in the moment where I really entertain this thought, it, it's, it can feel crippling. But, um, I, you know, tight spaces for me, tight spaces, man. Tight spaces. I think my, I'm going to blame my kids because you get a bunch of kids and then they crawl on your back and they pile on. And like, there's something about your back. I feel like it's an evolutionary response, like a dog almost attacking you. And you're like, I can't get it off, you know? And if I feel like I can't like stand up and like there's pressure on my back, I'm like, oh, and I want to break free. Last night it happened. I was going to sleep and I was just thinking about like, you know, tunnels, you know, like just think, like, I don't know, I was just thinking about Hollywood movies, and I'm like, I'm in the tunnel, I can't stand up, I'm getting nervous. This, this was, there was an actual visceral response, laying awake in bed. Some of you guys can relate, you know what I'm talking about. But what was I doing? I mean, here's my body in this beautiful bed, this comfortable space right here in Southern California, <laughs> air-conditioned room, and yet my mind, I've just become completely distracted and enmeshed and involved in this fantasy. My body is here today, but my mind has gone to tomorrow. Am I anxious? Yeah. I'm also distracted. I'm just distracted. Look at what one author says. I'm just going to let you soak it in for a second, and then I'll read it. Ryan Holiday from the book Stillness is Key, I highly recommend it, says that a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. Guys, we're living in the most advanced, wealthiest, most technocratic, most beautiful, (laughs) whatever you want to call it, most fill in the blank, time and place ever in all of history. And yet you open the news every week like I do, what does it say? Wow, it's the most unhappy, most depressed, most anxious generation that's ever lived. Do you see the, the relationship of, uh, 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 of what's happening here? There's no cor- what's the correlation? This adverse relationship, one going up, the other one going down, what's happening? Well, we believe all this information is the gift to us, but boy, guys, we have a poverty today. We've got a poverty of a totally different kind. We're broke. When it comes to our ability to just pay attention and stay focused and be present in this moment, we are bankrupt. Our very hearts and our minds and our bodies are torn apart. It consumes us and rips us apart, leading to this anxiety. That's the obstacle. It's a heck of an obstacle, isn't it? I devote some time on it, not to bring you down further into that hole. There's a way out of that hole. There's a way out of that pit. And it requires intention. It does require some effort. It requires some time 
to focus, to move your focus from this delusion over here to reality. But you can take steps to get out of that pit. And Paul is going to articulate it for us right here. There's three things. There's a lot more, but I've reduced it down to three things. Paul has an answer for you if you feel like you're down deep in that anxious or depressed or fear-ridden hole. He's going to give us some practical tools how to get out of it. And the very first thing he says is remember and celebrate the grace of God. Verse 4, that's what he starts, right? He says, be full of joy always. I say it again, rejoice. Rejoice. Just beautiful, fully loaded Greek word, kario, kario. The words in the Bible, in the New Testament Bible, from grace to worship to joy, they all share a common root from this word, kario, a common root. And the definition for us to hold on to is delight in God's grace. I was thinking earlier when we were worshiping of that, that commercial, uh, you know, the Snickers commercial, like, <laughs> they pick on the dude, it's all bros, they're like frat fraternity brothers, and they're, I don't know where they are, I can't remember, they're in a car, they're at their house, and the one dude's acting really dramatic, I think they call him like Aretha Franklin or something, he's, he's hangry, the guy's hangry, and they're like, dude, you just, are you hangry? You need to just snap into a Snickers, you know, just take a bite of this Snickers, man, that's going to fix it all. Sometimes we need just a praise break to snap in to the glory of God's graces in our life. Are we still alive? Is our heart still beating? Is there still breath in my lungs? What was I doing in bed that night? I was getting panic breathing and there's, I'm laying awake in my bed. There's no actual physical pressure caving in on my back or my chest. I'm just sitting here breathing and I need to take a pause break and say, wow, how has God shown up today, right here, right now in my life, in this moment? How do we live into, but there'd be a great question, Ben, how do we get this active awareness of God's glory and his grace here and now? How do we make ourselves more aware of it? That's a great practical question. You should be asking that. Ben, that's great. I love to be aware of God's grace, but how do I snap myself back into it? Well, this verse has the answer. As we get to verse five right there, let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. I think the, the subject is the considerate part, and we may get there in a second, but the first thing that jumped out at me was the let everyone see part, and I wanted to study more on that because this last couple of years, I've had really great leaders and elders and people at the church tell me, Ben, Ben, be advised. The way the church responds during these times, it matters, and people are watching. The unbelieving world is watching, and it matters that the church enjoys the favor of the whole world that it has good standing and good reputation for the whole world. If you don't believe me, just do a quick glance of Scripture. Look at Acts 2. The most vibrant and alive and on fire church ever, Acts 2. And what does it say right there at the end of Acts chapter 2? And every day they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And daily people were added to their number. They enjoyed the favor. And so I want to know, oh, maybe that's what this is talking about. Maybe we have an audience and, 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 and you know, they're enjoying the favor of all these people. Let everyone see you. Actually, I was surprised to find out. This word genosko, to be experienced, to be understood. Let everyone see you. It's, it's less like a knowledge, just, oh, I have this great knowledge. And it's more like sex. Shock value. Yeah, it's more like sex. The intimacy 
of a husband and wife, of mom and dad coming together, that intimacy, how close you are to even just see eyeball to eyeball for one minute in our highly distracted and attention-deprived world, just to see eye to eye for one second, that level of intimacy, let everyone see you. That's what the see you actually means. It's not just a knowledge, let everyone know what you're about, have this head knowledge about what you're about. No, let everyone see you close up. And now take that from the non-believing world or they, them, or the outside and the inside, the church and the non-church. Forget that for a second and just think about you. Just think about you and Jesus right now. How do we grow in that awareness in God's, about God's grace in our, in our daily lives? Through a deep, abiding, intimate relationship with the Father. That's how. That's the answer how. That's what Paul discovered. It takes an intimacy with the Father, a closeness, a repetition or like Bucky has been saying in this whole teaching series, a proper reordering of the heart. You know, we don't like that. We don't like to assign an order, especially in a religious sense. Anytime we get talking about this is first important, second, third, fourth, fifth, but you better believe our Western minds love that, right? We're just like, give me the proper order and give me the rank and file. What's in first place? You know what's in first place? You know the answer. Everyone say it with me. Jesus. It's supposed to be Jesus. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be Jesus. When I, Ben Appleby, am behind the wheel of a car in rush hour, you think that Jesus is in first place? Is he in first place? No, he's not in first place, man. I'm in first place. Ben's needs, Ben's agenda, Ben's timeliness is in first place. That's the order of the day, and my heart gets reordered, completely out of whack. Does anyone else feel the same way? Do you need a reordering of the heart where Jesus takes first place intimately? So intimately. A lot of us, we think that the religious going through the motions is the thing that, that gives us intimacy with Jesus and gives us first place standing with Jesus. And it's not about works. It's not about religion. You know where else this word is used? Gnosko. You know where else it's used? Matthew 7, 23. Jesus is asked, how, how, how do we follow you? How do we become intimate? Gnosko, how do we know you and become intimate with you? And he says, whenever you see someone sick, visit them, or in prison, visit them. Every, naked, clothe them. Hungry, feed them and give them water to drink. Well, we've done those. Well, what if we haven't done those? Jesus responds with some of the most haunting words in all of the Gospels. He says, depart me. Depart from me, for I never knew you. Some will say, I've done these things, but I never knew you. Jesus said, depart from me, I never even knew you. We didn't have an intimacy. We didn't have that kind of a proximate relationship, that proximity, that first ordering of the heart. Challenging words. It's not about the religion, though. It's not about the stuff. It's not even about the ministries. It's about just time with Jesus, you guys. Time in God's Word. That does work. It's not a spiritual discipline like, oh, I have to do homework. No. Just, put, just press play. I've watched my wife doing it. I've watched my wife do it during this challenging time when she's got the kids and she's been sick and we had COVID a month ago and I watched her during COVID press play on her Bible app. Every single one of you can get the Bible app on your phone, and now it will read it to you. You don't even got to read it. You just press play, and it'll read it to you. And you can plug it into your car. Just press play. And when your kids are going to sleep at night, you press play and let them go to bed hearing the Word of God. And you'll be transformed from the inside out from the Word of God and get that intimacy because we need something to cut through the noise. There's so much noise today, guys. 
And we do need Christian community. We need Christian fellowship, like Bucky was talking about, going small. We need to test these ideas that we're hearing every day in the world. Test these ideas. Bring them before Christians who we know won't kick us out because we have a question, because we're struggling, because we have a doubt. They won't kick us out of our small group or Bible study because at this church, it's safe to belong. You're safe to belong. With all your junk and your garbage and your questions and your doubts and your pushback, you're safe to belong. You've got to have a small group community like that. And you'll grow in intimacy way more than you even would on a Sunday morning. You'll grow in intimacy with the Father, knowing Him and Him knowing you. That's the first thing, is to celebrate. Remember and celebrate God's grace. Let everyone see you like Jesus see you. That's the one person that matters. Does He see you and know you? If you fix your attention on Him, the awareness of His grace will come quicker. It'll come quick. That's number one. The second thing, pray for peace. Paul says, celebrate and remember God's grace. The second thing, this daily practice that we need to have as a staple in our lives is to pray for peace. Look at verse 7. The peace of God, God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. The peace that surpasses all understanding. That's the translation I remember as a kid, as a boy. Seven, eight, nine years old. My mom used to pray over me when I was scared at night. When the Santa Ana winds would come in and they would blow like they're about to do here in this fall and winter season, the Santa Anas would come in and we had this huge hedge, this vine, this creeper that, we, that was up on the roof and the wind would come through and just like feel like the tree was going to be ripped off the roof and then slam back down. And here I am terrified as a little eight-year-old in my bed. And because my mom had a, a, a daily celebration of God's grace in her life, she had an overflow of that grace that she could come and bring to me a scared little boy in the middle of the night, and she didn't have the Bible on hand. She just would come and she would pray Philippians 4 over me, that in the name of Jesus, Ben, the peace of God that, passes, that surpasses all understanding would guard your heart and mind. And though I grew up many years later and didn't, never knew the reference, I never forgot the word of God. I never forgot the verse. The peace that passes all understanding, she would pray over me. If you struggle with anxiety or worry or fear today, can I just tell you right now, you have to memorize this verse. You have to memorize this verse. And you know, even as the words are coming out of my mouth, oh, scripture memorization, Ben. Oh, scripture memorization, another great tool. Oh, how cute. <laughs> another spiritual discipline. Please give us more spiritual disciplines, Ben. Give us more spiritual practices and habits that we can have. Oh, how neat. Scripture memorization. Maybe that's just the jaded, you know, kid who was born and raised in the church coming through, and you actually do think it's neat, and God bless you. But a lot of us, we hear scripture memorization as Christians who have been in the church, and we think, oh, I know about that. How neat. You wouldn't be saying that if you understood what Paul was saying here in the last line of this verse. It says, the peace, his peace, will guard your hearts and minds. I was so curious, what does that mean as I did a deeper study of this word peace? These are not just habits or cute disciplines or, or neat little tools. You know what that word guard means? Frieo, frieo, the Greek word frieo. That word guard, you know what it is? Just what it sounds like, military language. Like a fortress, like the fortress of our soul. And it's in danger of captivity and destruction and, and, and evil forces coming against it every hour, not just every day, every hour. And we need weaponry, not cute phrases or memorization because it's religion. No, that's dead. 
Jesus said religion is dead. I'll give you something to feed on every day, the word of God. You feast on my word of God. That's what Jesus said when he was going through a hard time. He was being tempted and distracted from the noise of the enemy. And the enemy came and said, you can have this and I'll give you bread and I'll give you a warm meal. And Jesus says, I feast from every word that comes from the mouth of God. Weaponry. That's offensive and defensive language. When it says on the screen, the peace will guard your hearts and minds. Guys, this isn't just children's church, kids program. Let's all memorize a cute phrase. This is weaponry for today. When we talk about these tools and these practices, please don't leave here today thinking, oh, I heard another good message. And I know Philippians 4, and I've memorized that verse. Please don't let the word of God be robbed of its power. When Paul says guard, he's given you tools and weaponry, offensive and defensive, about how to overcome the fears and anxieties and worries of this world. Was Paul qualified? Listen, if you don't believe that Paul was a real historical figure, then I get it. We can't get there. But he, he lived the life he lived of persecution and suffering and imprisonment. When someone comes with that track record, do you listen? Do you believe that he was able to crawl out of the hole of, 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 of death and despair? If he was able to do it, we could do it too today. We could do it too. We could do the same things today too. So Paul gives you this great tool. Celebrate, commemorate God's grace in your life today. The second thing, we pray, pray for peace. What's the third practice? You guys want to know what the third practice is? There's only one person that wants to know what the third practice is. Anyone else want to know what the third practice is? You guys want to know what the third practice is? Okay, are you ready for this? I don't know if you're ready. This is, um, this is really what the third practice is. Are you ready for this? Mind control. That's right, the third thing is mind control. I'm not kidding around. Mind control. You guys don't believe in mind control? A couple of you guys believe in mind control. You know there's some really smart people, really terribly smart people. Seriously, I'm not kidding now. I know it's a, it's a funny title, but, it, I, but this part's not a joke. You know there's some people really smart. You know who they are that believe in mind control? The folks who run the three biggest companies in the world. The folks from Amazon, Google, and Facebook, they believe in mind, mind control. You better believe it. If you think I'm going down a path of conspiracy theories, I'm not. <laughs> it's actually just science. That, you, that they have figured out, along with scientists, what our brain wants to eat, <laughs> right? It's, it's not a conspiracy theory if it's actual math, if it's science, that when I speak about deodorant in my bedroom and then I go to Instagram later and there's a deodorant ad, it's just science. They just figured out the tools about how to give our brains what it needs to stay comfortable, to stay undisturbed, to stay on the straight road, and don't deviate off that road. We'll give you what you need. Just stay locked in right here and we'll give you what you need. It, can anyone, is that, that's not a mystery. That's not some spooky thing. That's just straight up and down mind control. And you can read a book, any number of books that are not right or left. Just, you can read any number of books or watch any number of YouTube videos that will tell you. And I know YouTube's part of that platform. And I use those platforms. The difference, the difference is, is having those platforms rule you. Having those platforms use you. You get to use the platforms, but you can't let the platforms use you. And so it happens every single day. And the only, why do I even tell this funny kind of anecdote to start the third tool? Because if you don't believe that mind control is real in the, in the negative sense, then the rest of the, what I read here in the next verse won't make any sense either. You won't believe in the power of this scripture that I'm about to read to, to, to combat that or battle that mind control issue that we all face every day if you have a screen or you have internet. But here's what he says. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts 
What's that? There's your mind control. Fix your thoughts on whatever is gruesome and gory and horrifying and bloodshed and, and death tickers that tell you how many people died today and sickness tickers and, 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 and the political infighting and the battles and the vote for this and pay for this of every single day life. Is that what it, that's, did, you, did I fall? Okay, I guess I got off track. No, no, no. Just fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Guys, if, if we just have a praise party, if we just pause and praise, one day a week, are we going to be able to fight this, this offensive and defensive battle? We're not going to be able to do it. He goes on, keep putting into practice all the things you learned from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace, there's that word again, the God of peace will be with you. So I wanted to go deeper into this quote-unquote mind control thing. What's, what's godly and biblical mind control look like? And so I, 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 I did a deeper study on the fix your thoughts portion. And there's this word, logonizomai, longest mouthful ever I know, log, log. The key part is log, log. It's the common root of logos or logos, log. The definition, of course, is, is to come to a reasonable conclusion. <laughs> Can we just be reasonable? I'd love to just be reasonable. <laughs> Can we be reasonable for a second? No, no, sorry, I'm not going to let you be reasonable today because the world we live in will not let you be reasonable today. The culture and the age and the time we're living in will not let us be reasonable today. You know the best way to come to a, a reasonable and logical conclusion is to use this tool, this mind control tool. There's one filter you need to have, and that's logos, logos. Logos is the Greek word for word, word, logos meaning word. And, and, and John, who wrote the fourth gospel book, describes Jesus as the logos, the logos. I've heard this preached many times, but I never tied it to this, to this connection. Log, another way to understand logos is this word, reality. So the author, uh, uh, you know, John, of this gospel says that Jesus is the ultimate reality. When Jesus says he is the word and the word became flesh and he moved into the neighborhood, he means Jesus is the ultimate reality, the filter for all that goes in and out of your mind. He's the ultimate reality. So let me just put this down, okay? It's not on the screen, but you need to put this down in your notes and come back to it and pray through it tonight and this weekend and throughout this week. When the world gives us alternate realities, we choose Jesus, the only reality. When the world hands us alternate realities, we choose Jesus, the only reality. We fix our attention and our bodies and our minds and we make them present and rooted in the only reality. See guys, part of the, the, the issue with our time is that we have so many false and alternate realities presented to us and they're presented to us as authoritative and truth. I don't care what side of the spectrum you're on. You're on right, left, whatever it is, but I'm just telling you the level of deception on the internet today, I know it's real, and here's science. Let me show you my Instagram screenshot, and immediately I have a mental bias that says, eh, eh show me the money. <laughs> like, show me the paper trail. 
You can show me a screenshot from Instagram. I love it. Show me the YouTube video. But if you don't cite your sources, I don't give rips. I don't give a rip. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to see it. There's so many deceptions in the world today. And we read them and we run with them. We say, oh, that must be reality. That's reality. Oh, guys, we need a whole class and a whole session, not just one Sunday morning, about how to spot what is true and what is right today. What is true and what is right today. You have to beware of the deception that's in the world. You have to take what you're reading in social media and YouTube and the news and filter it through the logos, the ultimate reality. What does God's word have to say about this? I, you, can, you can look at those things, the, the death and destruction, and, and please read the news. We must be current on the events in the world today. We have to be so we can be moved with compassion. But you always take that newspaper in one hand and you, and you filter it through the word of God in the other hand. Always. That is the practice of mind control today, biblical mind control, getting your mind right. Because here's the thing. If you feel like you're in that anxiety or fear or worry pit and you're down there several steps, just, just way down deep, and you're interested in taking some steps out and you want to find that peace that will guard your heart and mind, then that's one of the, the you've you got to embrace this tool of self-control, of controlling your thoughts, of fixing your thoughts on, on what is right and true and honorable and pure. Because you know what God says? When we go down those roads, remember, we're, 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 we're trying to be present. Our body is here now, today, and then there's these alternate realities in the future. Have you ever met or known anyone who could tell you the outcomes of the future? Just like verbatim to, to specific detail? They, they, just t- they know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. They know exactly what's happening next week. No, pretty much, by and large, it doesn't exist. And yet, we treat that as reality all day long when we go there with our minds. It's coming. It's happening. It's reality. No, it's not. It's an alternate reality when you're doing that and you're going down that road with your mind. You know what God does and he says when we go down those alternate realities? He says, no thanks. I don't want to play. If you're going to go and you're going to agree with lies, if you're going to, which, because that's what an alternate reality is, if you're going to go put your feet rooted in the future, an alternate reality or a lie, I'm out. I don't want to have any part of it. Because remember, he, he's God, the one holy and perfect being in the whole world, so he can't touch sin. And that's what lies are. So he just says, if you want to go down that road and you want to play that game, you, go for it, but I'll be right here waiting to come back together in perfect intimacy. But I won't go down there with you because I can't agree with, with unrealities. I can't agree with alternate realities and lies. So I won't go there. But I'll be waiting patiently if you want, when you want to come back and be with the Father and be with Dad. And that's a, that's a challenging thought. One author, I read that this last year, about that's what happens when we do that emotionally. And have you, like, I mean, come on, let's put it really tangible. You guys ever have those neurotic, hypothetical conversations in your mind? You ever had that two-way conversation with the person you're feuding with in your mind? Oh, they're going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and then they say this, and then I'm going to say this, they're going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and then it's just on and on and on. When you're doing that emotionally, God's like, exit stage right. <laughs> I'm not going to play. Because I don't do those hypotheticals. I'm firmly rooted in reality. I am the one reality. That's biblical mind control. That you keep your feet rooted in reality. And you don't buy the myths and lies and deceptions that the world wants to tee up for you every day, cloaked as true and right. That's not the pathway to get out of those pits and those holes of anxiety and fear and depression and worry. We have to fix our gaze on the ultimate reality. As the band comes up, I just want to give you this final picture, this final word. There was a word that was used so often today that Paul used, the the, the God of peace will be with you. Pray and he'll give you peace beyond 
all understanding. Peace, 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 again and again and again. This word peace is irene, the Greek irene. Just put it in your notes phonetically, irene, peace. And this word peace has been so dramatically undersold and misunderstood as a people and as a church. It's so misunderstood. It doesn't just mean uh, the ending of hostilities or that we're not fighting anymore, that we have physical peace. That's not what it means. It means wholeness. It means knit back together. This word, this Greek word is loaded with meaning about being knit back together, to join or tie back together. Do you remember what we talked about on our, on our obstacle, on our barrier about anxiety? It was anxiety, but distraction and a ripping apart, a ripping apart. My mind and my body is here on this day, on the 5th of September, and yet my mind and my body have gone here to the 12th of September, and we're ripped apart. What does the God of the Bible and his son Jesus, through his servant Paul, say about how to get out of that ripping apart and that distraction? That we celebrate God's graces in our lives. That we pray for peace. And then we fix our thoughts on the right things and we will be knit back together. Is that so beautiful? How Paul does that? I never would have gotten that without this language study that every one of us can do. In this language study, he starts with this ripping apart and he gives this answer about being tied back together. Beautiful picture about what the peace of God is for each one of us. And it leads to a certain outcome. This, this conclusion of Paul's life, it's a beautiful picture. The promise that, that every single one of us have. And it's in verse 10. If you look at verse 10 on your phones or your Bible apps, and I'm just trying to make sure I can get it here. How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but I didn't have the chance to help me. You didn't. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. There's your message on simplicity. Contentment despite the circumstances, despite the pain. I've learned to be content in whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You guys know that verse. You know that verse. Most all of you know that verse. We've heard that verse. We've memorized that verse. And we just get hooked on, what are the things I should be doing? I should be doing. I can do the things and I should be doing. Here's a better translation, a truer translation of that last verse that we've all kind of misquoted and mismemorized all these years. This is the true translation. For all things, I have strength in the one who strengthens me. For all things, all issues and trials and sufferings, for all the things, I have strength in the one strengthening me. When Paul ends this whole chapter, he uses this word, um, I've been complete, lacking in nothing. I, I have contentment. He says, I'm self-sufficient. Well, that's weird. So weird. Why would he say that? The servant of Christ. I, I, I'm self-sufficient. I'm, I'm independent in what I have. What he's doing at the end of this chapter, he's boasting in the strength that he has in Jesus. When you say yes to Jesus, you have a relationship with Jesus, it's not just, oh, Jesus comes into my heart, but Paul said this often, that we enter into the heart of God. We are adopted and absorbed into his heart, hidden away in Christ, the verse says. So he is in us and we are in him. Jesus said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That's intimacy. Like you cannot find anywhere else in the world. So when Paul says, I am independent, I'm self-sufficient, he means self-sufficient as in Christ in me and I in Christ. 
And I just want to say right now, as we, as we stand, you guys can stand right now. Stand with me, and we're going to take communion. We're going to sing this last song. And, and we want to pray for you today after the song, right here at the foot of the stage, if you have that tug in your heart and you're, and you're ready to, to be done with this anxiety, you're ready to at least start taking steps out of that pit, out of that hole, out of that trauma, that trial of anxiety. We want to pray for you. And as we pray that that spoken word of prayers, nothing spooky or kooky, just, just with a spoken word that God would meet you today and you could experience a freedom, a lightness in taking those steps out of anxiety. But we're gonna, we're gonna sing this song and we're gonna take communion. It's communion at the front tables and the back two tables. And you take the body and blood of Jesus as a remembrance, as a remembrance of that thorn, of that, uh, that, that crown of thorns, that wreath of thorns that he wore for us that paves the path for right living. And we get to celebrate all over again what he did for us. And it's not just some soft habit or some, some soft tool, communion, it's just a religious thing we do. No, it's a, it's a rebirth, it's a renewal. There's a powerful thing that happens when we take communion on Sunday morning. A fresh start of what Jesus is doing now, this week, in and through you. So let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much for every man, woman, and child in here today. God, give us the peace that passes all understanding. Give us the peace that passes all understanding. May your peace guard our hearts and minds, God, as we take this communion in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come forward when you're ready. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.